Blog Talk Radio. So it's faith-based. So you're involved with faithism, not atheism, right? It was that you said, saying that you know, a lot of Christians, um, they maybe text or they maybe email you, and you know they was pretty much scared of you. And I said, oh, okay, a challenge, okay. No, I believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is saying that slavery is okay because it gives instructions about how to handle slavery. Andrew, that's faith. You just said you accept evolution, evolution theory. So that's faith. You got faith in a theory. By any chance, are you gay? Uh, what do you think about bow totes? Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you so very much for joining me here again on the Atheist Roundtable. This is a weekly live call-in show about atheism and agnosticism and belief and non-belief and a whole bunch of other things that just kind of flow into your host's stream of consciousness each week. Look, I don't do scripts, okay? I can't do scripts. I I wouldn't know what to do with a script if you gave me one. So I just kind of ramble off whatever the world comes into my head for about a half hour. That's what Blog Talk Radio gives me for free, Sunday nights at 11 p.m. If you want to be on the show live, when it's live, then you call 347-838-8342. That's the number to call live when the show is live. If not, if 11 p.m. on Sunday nights just isn't your time to be awake because you're normal, then you can call 765-280-3066. Leave me a voicemail. Tell me what you think. Maybe even I'll play it on the air. Unless you tell me not to play it on the air, then I totes won't play it on the air. But you can always call 765-280-3066 to leave a voicemail line for the Atheist Roundtable. I'm the host, and I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Andrew Garber, and I'd love for you to send me a friend request on Facebook. Like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable on Facebook, and most importantly, give me your oh-so-coveted five-star reviews on iTunes. I really do covet them. I covet them more than anything. If there's a commandment that I break, it's the five-star reviews on iTunes. When I was leaving religion, okay, when I, back in the day when I was leaving religion, there was one apologist that always knew how to get my goat. There was one apologist who always knew how to push my buttons and give me the argument, give me the apologetic that I was going to need to stay faithful one more day. And let me be clear about apologetics here. Apologetics aren't for non-believers, right? Apologetics aren't for atheists. Apologetics are for believers. Apologetics are there to keep people who believe to keep them believing. They're not there to convince non-believers to start believing. So when I was a believer, that's when apologetics, they never worked on me when I was an atheist. They only ever worked on me when I was a theist. And the reason that they only ever worked at that, at that time is because that's when they are designed to work. So if, you ever, if you're an atheist now, you hear the transcendental argument for God, you're not going to be convinced because it's not meant for you. It's meant for believers. It's only ever convincing to believers. But there was one apologist who always knew the answer to the question, who would know the doubts that I would hold and be able to bring an answer to them from faith and answer those questions with faith 
that was cleverly disguised by uh, mental gymnastics, by false logical fallacies, that kind of a thing. Because really, when you think about it, that's what apologetics are. They are bad thinking, they're bad logic, they're, they're, they're excuses that people use to continue to hold faith. It might surprise you to know that the apologist that I had the worst time arguing with, the apologist that I had the most trouble with, was me. I always knew exactly where my doubts lie. I always knew exactly where I was in my faith journey. And I knew precisely, precisely how to argue myself back to, I argued myself back to faith a lot, a lot. It took me 12 years, 12 years to move from believer to atheist. And in that time, I moved around and dodged all kinds of different apologetics that I would hurl at myself. If there's an argument out there, I brought it to me. I would bring it to me and try my darndest to make say to this apologetic box. And it never worked. It never held. It never held water for long. It's kind of like um, a leaky uh, thing that leaks. I don't know. It, where, where it's a slow leak, Right, and it looks full for a time, but as you ponder, as you reflect, as you study carefully, you notice that the water goes down and down and down and keeps just leaking out. You know what I'm talking about? The kind where you fill it up, you'd fill up a bottle with faith, right? And then after a while, you watch it, and it just kind of drips out. I don't know. I don't know if I'm making sense. Anyway, that's the way this works for me, okay? One apologetic would fail. I would bring me, I would bring me the next apologetic and keep me in faith for a time longer. I think that having to go through all of those different arguments myself to try to use these arguments to convince myself that they were true, to convince myself that they made sense, makes me, gives me a bit more familiarity with them than maybe some other people might not have, right? It gives me an answer to those apologetics now that I don't have to look for, that I don't have to think about, that I don't have to go and research and, and not not to saying that you can't go and research, I don't know, Pascal's wager on the internet and find a zillion and four different refutations, good refutations of Pascal's wager. And why wouldn't you? I mean, but to be able to find your own answer, right? To be able to take Pascal's wager and make it personal. What if? you, what if I am wrong? What happens to me if I get this 
question wrong? What are the consequences? How do I deal with the potential consequences of getting this question wrong? When you have to come up with some answer to yourself that is satisfactory to you, I think you become more prepared to answer that question when it comes from someone else. There are questions. There are apologetics. There are issues. And in every conversation I've ever had with any theist, they always come up. It's nice to have an answer, a reply, a bit of a spiel, prepared. It's nice to have had a thought or two about the questions that every theist you'll ever meet, as soon as they learn that you're an atheist, as soon as they realize that you don't believe in God, there are questions that everyone always answers. What is the meaning of life? How do you find morality? What is going to happen when you die? Where do you think we came from? These are questions that every, every theist I've ever met legitimately wants to know, especially if you're the first atheist they've ever met. Earlier today, I got to go and meet with, uh, with a guy who's going to be a resident assistant out of my local college. He wants to be able to make sure that he's able to offer unity and inclusion to all the people that he's going to meet. He's never been able to have a conversation about atheism with an actual atheist. But brand new to this college experience, he's realizing that the world is much bigger than he once thought it was, and he wants to reach out to people to find out what their experiences are outside of religion. When we have these conversations with people who want to see what it's like outside of their bubble, it's nice to know what the questions are going to be. It's, like, it's nice to know how to be able to answer those questions. And the best time to do that is before the question's ever asked. There's never going to be a time when you go up to a believer or have an interaction with a believer and it comes out that you're an atheist. And they don't say, but then where did we come from? How do you answer that? How do you answer, but what happens when you die? Isn't the fact that there is no heaven, isn't that depressing? Doesn't that make you sad that there is no heaven? Doesn't it enrage you with, with I don't know, rage that people who do bad things in this life aren't eternally punished in hell? How do you feel about that? And look, if you're an atheist, and you can't answer the question as easily as it doesn't bother me. It makes it look like you don't know what you're talking about. The Bible, just, you know, if you want to, if you want to take Bible quotes from an atheist, the Bible tells us that we ought to have an answer prepared. Well, okay, the Bible when I was a Christian told me that I was supposed to have an answer prepared. That's why I got onto all of the apologetics before. And that's why I would bring myself these questions, these problems, these apologetics when I was a believer. I had to be able to answer them. You know, there are times when I talk 
about my my former faith. That I get a bit nostalgic. You know? There are times when I talk about my former faith that I think to myself, man, wouldn't it be great to believe again? When I talk to believers, I think that that old experience that I had, those times when I was struggling with faith, I always go back to those times. I always go back to the time when I had faith, was questioning faith, and was struggling with the answers that I was getting from the church, when I was struggling with the answers that I was getting from the Bible and apologetics and all those things. That struggle is still my resource for being able to go out and talk and relate to people today. I think that it's important to be able to go back to that struggle and pull from it um, what I can to be able to relate to where people are, uh, to be able to give um, my experience from my perspective. I think my conversation went really well today. You know, I, I really think that the guy that I was talking to, he, he by the way, the guy I was talking to, uh, he's a Catholic now. Um, and it's it, it's always fun for me to meet another Catholic. It's always fun for me to meet another person who has that familiarity with uh, with my own background. Uh, there, I, I never spent any time in a Methodist church. You know, I never spent any time in a Pentecostal church. I just didn't. I I, I know only through the experiences of other people what those particular I don't know uh, brands of faith feel like. Um, I think, so So being able to find somebody else that has my particular, that's always fun. To be able to discuss things that are unique within Catholicism um, and how those particular things, those, those, those things that are very specific to Catholicism, like uh, the sacrament of reconciliation or confession, you know, I got to talk about I got to talk about that with this guy, and he knows what I'm talking about because it's something that he's familiar with. Um, oh, there's a comment from the chat room. Uh, so I can't talk and read at the same time uh, because I'm just not that smart. So you're going to have to you're going to have to uh, bear with me as there's a moment of silence while I read this for uh, sickness. To not oh, how about if I read this that way? I don't have to fill it up with silence. Uh, my own personal opinion is that atheism itself is a form of sickness. To deny the divine both within oneself and within the cosmos is something unhealthy. I see no evidence for there any, to be anything divine either within myself or within the cosmos. Um, to, um, I'm not even sure what, what you might mean by something being divine. I, I'm not even sure... What you would what you would mean by that? If you mean, however, anything that would be supernatural, that is something that is outside of the natural world, then I don't see that there's any evidence for that. 
and I don't know how there ever could be anything, um, how there ever could be evidence for something outside of the natural realm. Uh, consciousness. It is about consciousness and the evolution of consciousness. See any reason to think that consciousness is divine? Uh, that is a that is a mis uh, a, a uh, misappropriation of a term. I see no reason to think that consciousness itself is divine at all. Uh, I'm not sure why you would think that consciousness would be divine. Uh, consciousness is nothing more to me than the event of being aware that you are. You know, it's, and, and when I say the event, I mean it's not a state of being. I mean it's not um, a physical thing, right? Like, like a mug of juice. I don't know. People put juice bugs. Anyway, uh, it's it's not a chair. It's more of a an event, like uh, like uh, like a basketball game, right? Uh, it's a thing that happens, and then it stops. Um, uh, and I see nothing divine about consciousness or basketball, or I see the same amount of divinity within a basketball game as I do consciousness, that is to say. It's awfully hard to do these kinds of things through chat. Again, if you want to call and uh, and be part of the show, there's about 10 minutes left. Log Talk Radio will give me about 10 more minutes uh, after after the show ends. Uh, you won't be able to listen to that, but you'll be able to hear it in archive about four or five minutes after the show stops. Uh, you'll be able to download the show and listen to it Again, if you wanted to call the show, the number to call is 347-838-8342. I'd be glad to take the call, and it might be a little easier than um, uh, trying to type things out. I know for me, when I'm trying to type these things out, uh, my fingers don't work that well. Uh, I'm a <laughs> – I just suck at typing. I'm one of those hunting and peckers. Where's G? I can't find. So anyway, that's uh, but that's me. I wish that. Um, sometimes I wish that it was as simple as knowing uh, uh, that uh, what kind of evidence we would just need in order to prove that God exists. Oh, oh, that one. Uh, do you accept the possibility that there might be more to the cosmos than ourselves if we had other sense organs besides the five ones we use on a daily basis? Um, I'm not entirely sure what you mean by that. So, I mean, our senses, the, the sense organs that we have themselves are awfully limited, right? I mean, there's, there's an electromagnetic spectrum and visible light makes takes up a extraordinarily small portion of it. So even with the five senses that we have, we know that there's sound that human ears can't hear. We know that there's light that the human eye can't perceive. 
So if you're asking if there are things about the universe that the human senses can't perceive, well, sure, there's lots. And we know that. We know that because we can find evidence of them. Uh, we can find evidence of lots of things that our senses can't uh, perceive on their own. There was a huge leap forward in science and technology, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago now, with the discovery, or the, not the discovery, but the, uh, the uh, evidence that gravitational waves exist and we show how these gravitational waves present themselves, and we use some kind of giant laser, I don't know, to do this. I, look, but this, this, all of this stuff is way, way over my head. But somehow we're able to use lasers to detect the gravitational waves caused by two enormous black holes converging into a single black hole. Uh, I don't know, what was it, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of light years away, and so hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago. I can't feel that. Um, there's no way for me to perceive that. And yet there's this apparatus that's designed to to detect it. Um, so there's certainly a lot in the cosmos that our human experience can't perceive. But just like gravity waves, um, I find them no more divine than gravity waves or basketball games or coffee bugs um, or consciousness. Um, I find them all to be mundane and, well, maybe not mundane, but how about natural? Find them all to be limited to the natural universe in which we reside. And I see no reason to think that there is anything outside of that natural realm. And I see no reason to call anything within the natural realm divine. So the imperceptible thoughts, feelings, and impulses of will of the human being is merely the result of physical processes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All of the things that you think, all the things that you feel, all the impulses of will are absolutely the result of physical processes going on in your brain. That is so amazing. It seems so amazing to me. All of the things that I get to perceive, all of the things that I get to see, all of the experience I, I get to experience, nothing more. A bunch of electrical impulses firing in my brain. Every memory that I have is nothing more than a pattern of impulses firing in my brain. It's not even a particular impulse, right? Not even a particular It's more like a, it's a, it's a pattern. It's a, uh, it's a specific pattern, just to me. And uh, that's, that's something that I find, and at death these cease. Well, yes, at death these certainly do cease. That would be, that would be death. Uh, and uh, that's, that would be death. It certainly does cease at death. Uh, there is no activity after, after death. You, 
They're just dead. Um, there was a, uh, and, and, at, and at birth they began their existence. Uh, sure. Uh, why not? I don't know how well the brain develops. I, don't, I can't talk about how the brain um, develops at all. But, and I think that it's fairly obvious that newborns don't have all of the capacities that, I don't know, a 50-year-old might have. Well, <laughs> at least I would hope <laughs> that a 50-year-old person may have gained a skill or two since birth. Um, I certainly think that uh, that uh, the way that the brain processes information is more or less the same at birth than there wouldn't be anymore. I saw a um, there's a there's a YouTube channel called SciShow. I think it was SciShow. It might have been Vlog Brothers. But these these guys go back and forth and they talk about different uh, topics and so forth. There was a song called Everybody is Going to Die or Everyone is Going to Die, and I love those songs. I love the songs. Uh, Shelly Seagal has the apocalyptic love song um, it, it, that talks about how everybody's going to die and no one can possibly escape the inevitable heat death of the universe. I think that that finality of death, that inescapable finality of death, it is what makes the life we have precious, time that we have alive to be precious. Because it's the only life we know we get. So we know we have to make it the best we possibly can. We know that this is the life that we're going to have. Thought is not originating in the brain, but rather in the spirit. The brain is the material organ for shaping the thought within the physical organism. Citation needed uh, is what I'm going to have to say going to have to say here I see no reason to think that there is anything called a human spirit I see no reason to think that a spirit is real there's no evidence that there's a spirit there is only a brain um if there was a spirit um I don't understand why damaging the brain would have an impact on the spirit I don't understand why um Consciousness is independent of the brain. Again, citation needed. Show me an example of a consciousness that has existed outside of a brain. Show me an example of any time when you can see a consciousness that is not housed inside a physical brain. Um, I don't think there's any reason to think that that's true. You're making assertions here, my friend, that are not bound in facts, that are not grounded in evidence that are not part of reality. I see no reason to think that there's anything spiritual about the human condition. At least not in the way that I think you're using the word spirit. I'd be interested to know exactly how you define a spirit without using the word consciousness. Uh, it'd be very interesting. Every time we sleep, consciousness departs from the body. Yes, we certainly lose consciousness when we sleep. Um, that doesn't mean that our brain shuts off. Now, does it? I mean, that, 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 that's not what that means. Um, 
that doesn't mean that there is a consciousness outside of the brain. It means that the brain stopped making consciousness. Uh, I don't understand how in the world that supports your statement that consciousness is independent of the brain. I need to see a consciousness outside of a brain, not a brain without a consciousness. That's act, that is completely backward as to what I actually need here. That is the opposite of the example of what I need here. I don't know why you keep capitalizing consciousness. It's a weird thing to do. Why is consciousness capitalized? It's just an event. It's a thing that happens in the brain. It's a basketball game in the brain. Why would we capitalize that? Is there, unless there's some weird big basketball game that gets capitalized like a Super Bowl, I don't, I don't know. Is there a, is there a, is there a big Super Bowl basketball game? You can tell how well I sport ball, right? I just don't do that. But um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't do that at all. But I, I think it's weird. I don't understand the uh, significance here of you uh, capitalizing, uh, capitalizing consciousness. I'm the smartest guy on blog talk. You, sir, full shit. <laughs> uh, that is absolutely 100% not true, buttery up guy, you. That is such crap. <laughs> I am absolutely not the smartest guy. I am just a big dummy. But, as you say, I am over my time. So it is going to have to be time to end the episode. Listen, I want you all to take care of yourselves because God isn't here. We are. Good night. Like the fan page for the Atheist Roundtable at slash Atheist Roundtable on Facebook or find your host at slash Andrew the Atheist. Send all of your email to andrewtheatheist at gmail.com. This podcast is the official podcast of Atheists humanists and agnostics of the Wabash Valley. Find us on Facebook for monthly meetups. Music for this episode is provided, as always, by Dick Richards. Thank you, Dick. God is here. We are. Take care of yourself.